NFL stuff coming up. Um, we, we need to get you updated. A Cowboys player was arrested. It does happen from time to time. Let's talk some Baylor first. Travis Roeder uh, from Our Daily Bears joining us. And, uh, boy, f- folks like Travis's work uh, last time he came on. So glad to have him on again. And, uh, Travis, I'm reading through all these charts. My gosh, F-plus ratings, FEI. All right, next time we're in the press box, you'll have to sit down with me and walk me through some of this stuff. But what I understand more than any of that is I, I do like discussing the sort of the metrics and thoughts on this Big 12 title race. And, uh, Travis, I, I noticed, um, you know, the way you're kind of seeing this thing is that Oklahoma, especially with this new quarterback, it's really, really going to be difficult to imagine the Sooners not in this thing. Now, everybody else has that shot. But I think you're like me a little, Travis. You're having trouble truly buying into this Oklahoma State team, even though they keep moving up in the rankings. And I would say your number one issue with that team would be the starting quarterback. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's, and their offense as a whole. Their their wide receivers aren't nearly as good as they were last year either. Um, but Sanders kind of just is who he is at this point, and that's just a very inconsistent – uh, but part of inconsistent means that occasionally he makes great throws. Um, but it seemed like the last few years he would have a great game and then a bad game, whereas it seems like this year he's just kind of con- consistently being inconsistent within a game. He's not even really having great games. Um, so yeah, their offense is pretty poor. But um, I-, I like the comparison that uh, uh, Ian Boyd over at Inside Texas made to that the, this Oklahoma State team is kind of almost like a, a Bill Snyder team in the sense of the coach knows exactly what he has. Mike Gundy knows exactly what he has. And um, he's not overplaying his hand. Uh, I think he knows that their offense isn't very good. He's leaning on the defense. Whether that can take them to a Big 12 title game, we'll see. Uh, but they're definitely a well-coached team, and they're a veteran team. I think they're just pretty constrained on offense right now. All right, and you, uh, you I think – after Baylor beat Iowa State, and Iowa State had that early loss, uh, a lot of folks kind of moved on from them and are not thinking about them. You have not. You still, and I think that's wise, you still have a healthy respect. If you were handicapping this thing right now, obviously because of their records, Oklahoma and OSU have to be at the top. Is that next grouping, I mean, do you put Baylor like right you know, behind them, um, and and do you kind of have Iowa State, even with the situation they're in right now? Uh, and again, they're not in that bad of a situation in conference. What are they two and one? Uh, do you have Baylor and Iowa State kind of almost there together, even though Baylor beat that team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, mostly because the only reason that that head-to-head would matter was if both of them were to finish with two losses, which. I mean, it's a possibility, but it's not a strong likelihood. Um, so I think you kind of have to evaluate each of them on their own merits. But I think it's worth mentioning, you know, Oklahoma is far and ahead at the top. Um, you know, them and Oklahoma State are both undefeated, but it's important yeah. to remember that uh, Oklahoma is at 4-0, whereas Oklahoma State is only at 3-0. and And Oklahoma, the big thing to watch in the Big 12 is always whether somebody has played Kansas or not. Uh, so Oklahoma is 4-0 and and hasn't played Kansas. Uh, so that basically makes them 5-0, and which means they have four games remaining. Uh, the likelihood of them dropping two or three games out of those four is almost zero. Um, but handicapping it is tough because, 
you know, every week you add up a win, it just really adds up your um, increases yeah. your odds. For Oklahoma State, you really just got to think, um, you know, what is the likelihood that they can finish with two wins or less? Because if you look at historically in the Big 12, that's what it takes to make the title game. Any team that's ever finished with two wins, or excuse me, two, um, I think I said wins, I meant losses. Um, any team that finishes with fewer than two losses makes the title game. So Oklahoma State's at 3-0. and They have uh, six games left. Um, so, you know, what's the likelihood that they're able to only lose two games? I mean, we'll see. Um, so yeah, it's tough. I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of, talk about it until uh until the cows come home all the different scenarios but obviously when you haven't taken a loss yet and you can only lose two it really increases your odds talking to travis roeder uh from uh ir daily bears and he breaks down a lot of the film and uh i, I like having him on because i don't spend a whole lot of time in the film room travis i don't want to shock you with that uh, news. I think you probably thought I just spent hours and hours in there. I'm curious. The Baylor was mentioned in this. I think it's called the Moore Award. It's like a mid-season list of the best offensive lines in college football, and there were quite a few of them. I'd say about 19. Baylor was one of them. PFF. I, I trust you honestly more than PFF, and and I'm and 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 then they got people I like over there. I, you know, it's not. The, I don't. It's just honestly. Sometimes their stuff, I, I just I have to question some of it, just like you question different di- different kind of metric systems or analytics. But from what you've seen of the Baylor offensive line, first of all, who's been who's the who grades out week in week out as Baylor's best offensive line, and then what's the biggest jump from last year? Is it just simply they're they're, they're just way more cohesive? I'm just wondering to your eye. When you look at this on film, it has to be like night and day from last season. Yeah, I mean, cohesive cohesive is the right word. Um, one of the problems last year, among many other things, I mean, just coaching and kind of morale and everything else in general, um, but aside from that, was they were kind of asking them to – Wickline was kind of asking them to operate some difficult-to-execute schemes. I don't want to get too in the nitty-gritty, but like as far as their pass protection goes and – they were running different off, you know, a lot of different run schemes and then their pass pro was difficult and, you know, nothing felt cohesive. And obviously there, there were so many instances last year where defensive lines would run simple stunts. And one of the things offensive linemen have to do is, you know, pass defensive linemen off to one another. So like if one guy's coming at the tackle and then swoops inside, he has to pass him off inside of the guards. That kind of stuff was routinely being messed up last year. So I think one thing that Eric Mateos has done, well, it's been a few main things. A, you know, he really just came in and instilled a bunch of confidence in him. He recognized that this is a group that's just been beat down to hell. Uh, their confidence was shot. Fans had been yelling at him for four years saying that they stink. Um, yeah. And he really came in and said, look, you know, you guys are the big nasties. Y'all are going to get it done. Y'all are talented. Um, and that's really worked out. And then the second part of it is just the scheme has been very – uh, simple is probably not the right word, but they're not asking them to execute too many different techniques. And so that the techniques that they are executing, they've been able to practice a lot uh, and they're doing them a lot. They only do a couple different things on pass protection, you know, a couple different run schemes. And so it's limited their variety, but it's made them a lot better at what they actually do. Um, and as your last point about who's kind of looking the best from week to week, I still think the, the center, Jacob Gall, is probably their best player. Uh, he's shorter and he has shorter arms, so he's vulnerable against guys who can overpower him. But week to week, I mean, 
he's great. Uh, he, if you one thing just for fun for fans to watch, if you ever look at a big Baylor run, what you're going to see is that the center has able to get around the defensive lineman and flip his hips and almost turn horizontal to the sideline. And that's what creates that big hole. I know that was kind of visual, but I hope that made sense. No, I like that. And, uh, and, and I and always like to look who's, you know, when the Cowboys are at their best now, you see those linemen getting outside, showing athleticism, and then dominating on the perimeter. And, and I think Baylor's similar in a sense. That's when they're at their, you know, those guys, when they can lean on some of that athleticism. And, and I like those guys getting recognized. And I also like that I, I just happened to be watching the sideline, and when somebody needed to come out, maybe they got banged up or something, like, it, it was just kind of funny because it was like Khalil Keat, maybe it was Byers, I don't know. And I saw Moe's, uh, I saw Big yeah, Moe's 72 yeah, yeah, go racing too, yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, I thought, you know what, these guys are ready to go play. And they yep. don't care exactly who's in there. And I think that, uh, I think that's a, uh, a really good sign. Um, let me ask you about a certain player. Uh, Jalen Petrie's one of the most beloved players on this team by fans for a lot of reasons. One of the biggest reasons he stuck around when he didn't have to. And another reason is he's just great. He's become a trem- – I had no clue he was going to become this guy. You were sort of commenting on who who is better than him for defensive player of the year in the Big 12. And I agree. I, I, I tend to think he's the best player. People want to point to the quarterback always, and I get that. But I, I think this is the best player on the team. Is Is what Petrie – when you kind of break him down on film – what is it, What are the things that stand out the most? Is it the anticipation, the diagnosis? Is it the athleticism? I know it's a combo of a lot of those things, but what's what's the one or two things that Petrie brings that just jumps off the tape? So the the big thing with him is that his brain doesn't his brain doesn't operate any. Excuse me, let me say this different. His brain operates at the same speed as his body does. And so he actually isn't a great athlete, and I don't mean that in any sort of offensive manner. But, you know, when he tests at the combine, he's not going to test great. Uh, he probably runs in the four sixes. He's going to be, you know, a six one, uh, 195, 200 or so. Um, he's just not – he's not one of those guys that's going to make a, uh, a national freak athlete list. But what he does have is he loves the game. He's really, really instinctive. And if you actually – if any of your listeners want to just for fun, go watch, go watch his high school tape. It basically looks the exact same. He's just, he's getting forced fumbles. He's sacking the quarterback. He's making interceptions. He's getting involved in the run game. I mean, guys who make plays like that in high school, make them in college too. And so when I say that his brain operates at the same speed as his body, what I mean is when he recognizes something, there's no delay. I think a lot of people uh, can, can picture him kind of seeing something in the backfield, and then he plants his back foot, and it's like he's in the backfield a second later. Uh, and that's what's so good about him. You know, he, he prepares all week, and he earns his ability to play so well all week. And then when he gets out there, there's no hesitation. He's just, he just gets after it. And then finally, he, just, he clearly is a good, a good practice player because his technique is great. Even in pass coverage and stuff like that, you can tell. I mean, he just he operates exactly like they teach it on the practice field. And so basically – Despite him not being a great athlete, he does everything else well, has great instincts, and plays really fast. All right. I, Travis, our listeners are not like the two of us. They're not wired to go watch high school tape. Okay. Okay. These people, okay. These people have to – no, I'm kidding. I, it sounds like not a bad idea to go back and, and look at some of that. Travis Roeder, our Daily Bears, joining the Matt Mosley Show. 
ESPN Central Texas. Travis does a nice job. Travis, my favorite thing, and I always try to tell people, especially young guys like yourself coming up in the business, like, you know, you stick with what you know, all that kind of stuff. But your best thing on Twitter is, of course, a little something along the lines of uh, Baldinger does NFL. Now, your next level stuff, Travis, is, is going to be when you're able to somehow get the audio tuned up like Baldinger does and start walking us. You know, right now you're doing a great job of, like, writing about those uh, cut-ups of the different plays in those games. That stuff is extremely valuable. The, the rotor next level will be when you start kind of talking over that, like Baldinger does. That is, uh, for, like, NFL fans, that stuff is, like, unbelievable, especially for guys like me who I love what you do. I just don't love doing it myself. So I would <laughs> rather have you on to explain it. So anyway, I, um, I, really, I really do like it. Now, uh, the BYU film, when you kind of put it all together and you started kind of looking at some of the, I mean, my gosh, they ran. I guess they just wore them down. Uh, let me ask you one negative thing for Baylor. What do they need to do? And I know some of this is because they, they stopped the run, so something had to give. I get all that. So we don't have to go into all that. But Nakua was just killing them downfield. The guy's a really fine wide receiver. But Tejada's not a bad cornerback, and neither is Boogie Barnes. But they were really struggling in that one-on-one coverage. What, what does Baylor have to do, do you think, to, uh, to clean that up? I think part of it is just experience. Um, I think you're going to see some other guys. You know, I, I talked about it before the game. That was that was definitely BYU's biggest advantage in the entire game because their wide their wide receivers are a really good, but b what they're really good at is when they get downfield, they can you know they can moss you, they can they can jump over you and make the catch it. So part of it is just like that's just what they do. Baylor's not going to face another team this year that has that level of, you know, they're going to face some other teams that have as good of wide receivers, but nobody else who, you know, Romney and Nakua are, you know, they have that special ability to just jump over you. So part of it is that uh, you've got to tip your hat to BYU. I mean, the other part is, you know, Raleigh Todd is a five nine guy. Uh, he's not really a guy you want competing regularly on jump balls. Um, and, uh, and the other part was uh, Kalen Boogie Barnes. Uh, this was his first week back after being out for three weeks and um, playing the ball you know, when it actually gets there to the wide receiver is something that actually is really uh, like practice based or, you know, it just takes a lot of experience because it just takes a lot of feel. If that makes sense. Like fans always look at corners and they're like, why don't you turn your head around? Why don't you make a play on the ball, et cetera. And, uh, and it's easy to understand why they would say that, but you know, it's tough when you're chasing a wide receiver knowing when you can turn around and how to make a play. So anyway, all that to say, I think, you know, that's never going to be too hot as a game just because he's shorter with Kalen, he is bigger, and I think he'll improve as he gets back on the practice field and gets more game experience. Uh, but it is something to watch. I think, you know, clearly teams have been targeting Baylor downfield a little bit, and it's something that they're willing to give up with how how effective they've been at stopping uh, stopping the run. All right, for your next assignment, I, I, next time I'm going to ask you, who is Baylor's most athletic freak on defense? And you can't say Ika because I know size-wise, his his he's the biggest freak from being. So we're eliminating him as an answer, and then you can uh, you can give me your answer, but save it for next time. We'll just tease right. it. But uh, Travis, good to visit with you, and uh, look forward to uh, enjoy the the weekend, the rare weekend off, and then we will see you for that 11 a.m. start, which you found out why. Baylor fans hate 11 a.m. starts when you ask that Twitter question. <laughs> it was a genuine question, and I found out. <laughs> that's right. That's why you ask them. 
Um, all right, there he goes. Thank you, Travis. Travis Roeder joining us on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. All right.